0: Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Sunday, August 6th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode six. This episode is going to bring together two previous topics that I've spoken about on the podcast. The first was uh, having to do with composting, and the second has to do with the history of lead and how it relates to General Motors, how it relates to Flint. And today what I want to talk about is how we actually can fight lead, especially in urban centers, but really this can go for anywhere where there has been environmental contamination and it can also extend beyond lead and into you know, a whole host of environmental toxins that now exist in the groundwater and the soil. So when we speak about lead, I've mentioned this before, I really want to use a sustainable and solution-oriented approach, an approach that is critical of the serious and widespread problem of lead contamination. So for me, the focus on lead goes beyond firing any government official or trying to hold the EPA accountable or any government body, really. To me, the only way to prevent this from continuing is to actually remediate the land and the water. And there are ways, there are solutions uh, that presented themselves. So I just want to go over what those are. And if it applies to you on land that you have access to changing or manipulating, I really do suggest for the safety of yourself, your guests, children, pets, and your garden, perhaps, uh, it really is a good knowledge base to have, um, especially for something so serious. If you'd like to learn about the history of lead, I suggest going back to episode 3, where I discuss in detail how lead ended up in our cities, in our groundwater, and in our soil. Now, being a part of an urban gardening movement that is for food justice, we must recognize that there is this history of contamination in order to properly address what methodologies we need to use to remediate. Because if we want to be urban farmers, we have to recognize that we cannot plant in native soil and sell that to our community or give it to our community in good faith when we know that there's a history of environmental contamination in that soil. And that's why composting is so important, because it can actually bring together urban food waste as an issue and bring that together with gardening to create a solution to this environmental contamination. So there's this really beautiful cyclical process that's possible when you combine these problems to try to find a solution that in the end has to do with building soil structure and has to do with creating life and creating biodiversity again in our cities. But here's the big problem with lead and with many environmental contaminants they don't just go away. Um, Once they're introduced, they don't disappear, dissolve, they don't biodegrade. Lead is a heavy metal. So it sits inactive in the soil and the water until it finds something to bind to. And of course, we don't want it to be us, like our bones and blood are very susceptible to binding to lead, and and that's one of the reasons why it's such a a serious neurotoxin, um, because once it gets in you, then its cycle is complete and it's happy staying where it is. So um, my first thought when I was learning about lead was, well, how do we remove it? Doesn't that seem like the, the smartest and most compelling strategy? So that's the one that I'll discuss first. One method of removal is called phytoremediation, and this means using the plants to actually pull up these heavy metals or other toxins and then removing those plants and disposing of them properly rather than harvesting them and eating them. So this over a long period of time can start to pull toxins and pull heavy metals out of the soil depending on which plants you use. And I've been using lead as a prime example because, one, I had a personal experience with it, and two, it's one of the most common contaminants in urban areas, but really there is a very long list of environmental contaminants, and it is not limited to lead. There are things like arsenic, chromium, mercury, PCBs, DDT, and others in the soil. So when you're going about phytoremediation, you definitely have to do your research and figure out which plants are most conducive to pulling up the toxins that you are looking to destroy from from the soil and remove from the soil. So... uh, It's not one-size-fits-all when it comes to toxins, and you might need to employ a plethora of different plants to achieve this. But permaculture style, uh, which means that you're planting many different kinds of plants in the same area, could be beneficial for this. And basically, you'll use the plants over time, their growth cycle, to slowly remove lead through a process called phytoextraction. And um, some examples of that are duckweed, sunflowers, and alpine pennycrass. And there are many online resources that you can use to figure out which plants destroy and pull up which contaminants. So I suggest checking out phytoremediation if you have a long time to spend on pulling this up. Maybe this is a permanent space for you, not necessarily a short-term solution to these issues. Another really effective way to attack lead in urban areas is a process called biosolid remediation or phytostabilization. This takes a chemical approach to remediation by adding copious amounts of material high in phosphorus, iron, manganese, and other organic matter found in compost, manure, and mulch. When you add this to the soil, lead comes into contact with this material and it actually binds to it instead of you, rendering it inactive. The binding process means the lead available to enter our bloodstream through contact drops dramatically following this remediation. And seeing that most cities cannot use expensive extraction methods to deal with lead or necessarily have a long time to deal with them, biosolid remediation is a cheap and effective way to render lead inactive, as well as promote a thick, healthy layer of topsoil for proper soil development. So I might push biosolid remediation even a step further and, like I've mentioned before, connect it to an overhaul of urban waste management procedure. I have this imagination where the city is composting all of its organic material and then it's taking that organic matter and it's using it to remediate the soil that was destroyed over the past century and a half and this sustainably renders lead and other contaminants uh, inactive and actually suppresses their exposure. So it's absolutely possible that, that this could be a thing, and it's, it's something that I, I hope that at some point in my life I could possibly get a grant for it or work on this project in a more serious capacity because I think this is just something so revolutionary that not a lot of people are talking about in regards to lead and lead poisoning and lead being in our cities and we're sort of left wondering what we do about it other than hold the government accountable for poisoning us but this really takes matters into your own hands if it's again if it's a space that you have control over this could be huge for protecting you and the people around you. The third solution is called barrier remediation In tandem with biosolid remediation, barrier remediation method creates a barrier between contaminated soil and the ground cover mulch, as well as raised beds for planting. The reason why the barrier is important is twofold. One, if you're planting anything with deep roots, you're not going to want them reaching down into contaminated soil. Even if you're putting them in raised beds, you'd be surprised how far and wide-reaching roots can be. So um, you want to contain them to your rich compost beds. And secondly, groundwater is just as contaminated as the soil as you can probably imagine. There's a natural process through the seasons where the groundwater goes through periods of swelling, mostly in the spring, and this causes lead and other contaminants to rise up from underneath with that groundwater. So the barrier method allows you to make sure that contaminated groundwater stays contained, which further protects your plants, your animals, and your own health. So all of these remediation methods are important to the future of urban soil development. We really should consider urban soil development as a a central task for any city going forward. I consider a combination of these methods, depending on the intended use of the site and the circumstances, a combination of them are going to be most effective to minimize exposure. And these techniques have been implemented in New York, Baltimore, Chicago, and other cities in favor of ending the history of environmental destruction. So remember always that you're going to want to get your soil tested before digging into city dirt. And if you find out that you have a contamination, don't worry, because we do have the knowledge and the tools to begin healing the earth And we just have to be empowered on how to act on them. Not a lot of people are aware that lead is looking to bind to anything, not just people. We just assume that we are the targets when really lead can bind to a number of different substances. And some of those substances just happen to be rich, and copious and compost. We need to teach people how to get their soil tested, and we need to subsidize soil testing so that it's not so expensive and so that people can get access to the knowledge that they need to take the steps to remediate, because that that is half the battle. So regardless of where you plan to grow your own food, or just use your outdoor space perhaps, I'm always saying this from a farming perspective, but Of course, your space is your space, and it can be used for anything. So you're going to want to know what is in the existing soil. Um, It's not just nutrient content that you're testing for at that point. What you really need to know is, has my soil been contaminated with heavy metals or other toxins? And the reality is that most urban grow sites make for ambitious gardens. They lie directly in the wake of lead paint and lead fuel usage. They have proximity to treated lumber, coal, sewage treatment plants, gas stations, other commercial spaces that use petroleum or pesticides. This, along with so many other specific environmental factors, cause contaminations. Some of those contaminants include lead, zinc, arsenic, chromium, copper, cadmium, mercury, cyanides, and others that end up in city soil. So this contamination means the soil and the groundwater are both in great need of remediation And the addition of organic compost matter to the land can offset this in a significant way. So over time, this begins to cut the ratio of these metals and chemicals, which are being swept up into the air, and also the skin of city youth and city gardeners, as well as pets and other other, uh, animals that occupy the city. So... Some of the most accessible garden spaces in all of New York City happen to lie in lead-laden areas. In fact, 70% of Brooklyn's soil is contaminated with lead. I was living in New York when I first started investigating this, and my, my soil in my backyard and bed had 986 parts per million lead. And then I moved to Providence, where I believe it's... of children under the age of six have elevated blood lead levels. So, no matter where I go, I know that this problem is looming. And no matter where I farm, especially if it's in an urban center, this is something that is going to be in the forefront of my gardening practices and something that I'm going to be teaching people about because it is so widespread, but also swept under the rug. Because, as you might have heard in the previous podcast, episode three, there was a big PR campaign to sweep all this under the rug, that none of this really was going to be affecting us. And you know now we see the health effects of it. Now we see that our communities are very sick. And if we're wondering why, we don't even need to look farther than what's in the soil and the water. Those are just basic investigations. So before you get started with any landscaping or gardening processes in your new home or space, don't just go digging and playing in the dirt. You really don't know what's in it, and you could be unnecessarily exposing yourself to these toxins. I put my hands in the backyard in Brooklyn, not knowing that there was lead in there. We let our first set of chickens graze the dirt without knowing, and uh, we exposed ourselves. Me and my partner definitely exposed ourselves and won't be doing that again. Um, Definitely learned my lesson the hard way and don't want that contamination again. So... That's the first thing. Don't just go playing in it. And then secondly, you're going to want to look for the closest uh, soil testing that you can find. In Brooklyn, I can tell you, it's Brooklyn College. They did a great job on our soil testing. And I know for anyone in the New England area, uh, UMass Amherst Science Department will be able to help you as well. So you can just give them a call, and they'll be able to direct you to the necessary sampling instructions and also probably give you some information about price. I suggest starting with a $10 lead test because it's cheap rather than getting an entire heavy metals uh, soil quality test because that's going to be more expensive. If the lead test comes back contaminated then you need to look no further. There may be other contaminants in there but really that's enough for you to know that that's not soil that you want to be putting your hands in or gardening in. So once we knew that the level was too dangerous for us to touch or grow produce in or have our chickens on, that information gave us a much better perspective as to what we were up against in the urban gardening process. And it also really renewed our dedication to composting, which is a waste reduction initiative that we had begun six months prior. So we already had our compost going and it wasn't until the lead contamination and research that I realized that compost can help us and be our ally in this sense. So we ended up going through the process of doing a barrier remediation, covering the soil, the contaminated soil completely, um, with a acrylic plastic um, tarp of sorts, like a like an industrial tarp that was big enough to cover the yard. And then we actually went through a process of putting hay down and putting wood chips down. And then on top of that is where we put our compost. And that's what we grew in so that we, we knew basically that we were keeping the groundwater and we were keeping the contaminated soil away from the roots of the plants. And that was what was of prime importance to us. But you could also not use the barrier and just use the compost Um, You could even order compost from a local uh, nursery, or there are certain urban composting sites, like BK Rot in Brooklyn, for instance, and they can usually get you a really great price if you're interested in remediating your soil. So we know that building great soil starts with reintroducing that organic material, that life that has been lost from the soil. If you go back to episode two and listen to Composting Basics, You'll learn all about how compost is not a fertilizer, but rather it's an inoculum of living organisms. So you'll notice that a lot of the city soil that I'm talking about that has all of these problems, it's very dead. It doesn't have a lot of earthworms. It doesn't have a lot of bugs crawling through it, ants or other life in there. So you can really see that the life has been taken from the soil quite literally and reintroducing that is the best method to also cleaning up this environmental contamination that has been going on just completely unchecked by the government, completely unchecked by the corporations that are selling the stuff to us and the the solution can actually be with us and I take a lot of uh, pride in that that there is a way, uh, that a grassroots solution exists to fixing this problem, which seems very insurmountable at certain times. And um, I'm looking forward to you guys listening to this, and hopefully we can get some of these yards cleaned up. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, share it around. This concludes episode six of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Stay empowered, my friends.